UFOs blast Russian troops. The Kremlin's Duma complains about Ukrainian bio-mutants. And a dire warning about the future from America's favorite gnome. All this and more in today's Spectral Skull Session. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session. Tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Welcome back. Recording from the marshy hills of the flooded Merrimack River Valley, south of the floodplain that once was St. Louis, Missouri. I am Dane. This is the Spectral Skull Session. After World War II, rumors flew about links between the Nazis and the occult. Supposedly, the Nazis had been developing a new kind of nightmare spirituality around reconstructed folk religion, with some leaders believing they were in telepathic communion with the spirits of dead German warriors. Others had been searching Antarctica for evidence that the Earth is hollow and scouring the Middle East for ancient holy relics. The occult milieu surrounding World War II set the cultural stage for the 1981 American blockbuster film, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, as well as the famous comic book-turned-movie series Hellboy. War begets rumors. Innuendo. So how about the war between Ukraine and Russia? What are some of the swirling rumors and innuendo that will someday form the basis for a vast, dark, post-war mythos? I'll take a look at some of those stories today. Let's start by talking about what we know. Russia and Ukraine have been at war since February 22, 2022. By my tally, Russian forces have captured three of Ukraine's 15 largest cities. They had previously captured three of the 15 largest cities in Ukraine in 2014. So now they're up to six of the 15 largest cities in Ukraine. They've recently made announcement their intention to annex the Kherson Oblast, which is an area north of the Crimean Peninsula. Meanwhile, Michigan Representative Alyssa Schlotkin has released a classified briefing with the U.S. Department of Defense, where she says they put the number of Russians injured in this war at 75,000. That's an incredible number. That would be half of all the soldiers that Russia originally organized to go into Ukraine. And the war reeks of escalation. Recently, Russia reduced its supply of natural gas to Western Europe, citing a defective turbine. This has delivered a shock to the European economy that threatens to plunge Germany into recession. The CNN headline from Tuesday, U.S. officials say, quote, biggest fear, end quote, has come true as Russia cuts gas supplies to Europe. Meanwhile, hundreds of millions of people in the developing world are threatened with starvation as Ukrainian and Russian food products such as grain and sunflower oil are kept off the world market by the fighting and the closure of the Black Sea. 
So the Russians have dropped the total amount of natural gas they will deliver to Western Europe to about 20% of what they can deliver. And uh, they're saying that they have a turbine that they need to propel the gas and the turbine needs to go in for repairs. But nobody thinks that this is an accurate description of what's happening. It's largely thought that Putin has just unilaterally decided to cut the gas. Thankfully, it's the summer, so they've got some time to figure it out. Looks like they'll be reactivating coal plants, possibly returning to nuclear. Best of luck to Germany and all our German listeners out there. I know about half of the listeners of this show are currently located in Germany. Willkommen. But wherever you may be across the nation or around the world, we are all affected by this war. So let's get started looking at the esoteric side of the war in Ukraine. We'll get started with a March 2022 article from CBN. Ukraine director of CBN, Kovstantin Litvenko, reports that a man shared with him a story of his son, who's serving in the Ukrainian army. He said that the man told him on one dark night, the soldiers were holding their positions and discovered that they were besieged by the Russian Federation tanks and mobile units coming directly at them. This man's son called his dad on the phone and said, Dad, you have to pray right now. We're in a situation. So the father called other members of their church and asked them to start praying. Later, his son called him back and said there was a miracle. It looked like an attack on the Russians from a spaceship. There was some kind of lightning shooting from the sky and sparks spreading everywhere. The story goes on to say that the soldiers decided it was probably a high-tech weapon, like a drone. The family praying for their loved one is confident this was a case of divine intervention. So this is a nice story that illustrates something we've been covering on the show, that uh, UFO stories often have a religious dimension, vice versa. Religious stories often have a sci-fi-like component. Often the media strips those components out, preferring either cases where it's a secular media to remove all the religious components, or in cases of religious authorities retelling a story of a miracle, they tend to like to remove the sci-fi elements. Now here we have CBN, which I understand to be the Christian Broadcast Network, um, staying true to the original story by keeping both sci-fi and religious elements in the same story. Good for them. Tell it the way it is. So I've been keeping an eye on this because I've been curious. I've been wondering if we might see the Tic Tac make an appearance, the 2004 UFO that harassed the USS Nimitz, known for its ability to outmaneuver the F-15 and F-18 Super Hornet. Uh, Will the Tic Tac make an appearance? So far, I haven't seen any evidence of that kind of technology in the skies over Ukraine. Now, we know that UFOs like to fly around nuclear sites, although Ukraine gave up their nuclear weapons as part of an agreement they made with both the United States and Russia in the 90s. I know Ukraine has four nuclear power plants. One of them, the one near Zaporozhia, is under control of Russian forces at this time. With all the fighting taking place in and around nuclear power stations, including the Chernobyl exclusion zone, which was briefly occupied by Russian forces but has since been abandoned, would be a great time for UFOs to intervene. So this story here, just because I wasn't able to find any other information on it, sounds like, you know, it's very likely to be just a case of a coincidental drone strike. 
Without more robust documentation of this particular incident, there's no real way to rule that out. Now, after the war is over, maybe people will put together the, the drone maps, records, and they'll say, well, we didn't have a drone strike at this location. That would be, that would be amazing. So let's look forward to that, hopefully. Let's move on to another story. This one is about biomutants. On July 18th, the Daily Beast ran an article, Russia says it's losing because Ukraine has experimental mutant troops created in secret biolabs. Yahoo News also ran a similar article on the same topic. These articles describe remarks by Konstantin Koshev, the deputy speaker of Russia's Federation Consul, and Irina Yarovaya, deputy chair of the state Duma, they attest that a Russian investigation has found that American-run biolabs inside Ukraine have been doing biological testing on soldiers. Now, you may have heard this article when it first came out. If so, the joke is on you because there's a lot more happening here and has been covered properly. I dug up the Russian news report that the Daily Beast and Yahoo News were based on. This was uh, from the paper Kommersant. It's a Russian business paper been published since 1992. It's very much a Russian Wall Street Journal if you're American or a Financial Times if you're in the UK. Now, here's what I found when I translated the Commerçant article. They said this, quote, On Monday, the Federation Consul held a regular meeting of the Parliamentary Commission to investigate the activities of American biological laboratories on the territory of Ukraine. So this is really interesting. Just as we have the January 6th commission in USA, over in Russia, they have a special commission to investigate American biological laboratories on the territory of Ukraine. According to the co-chairs of the commission, a blood test of Ukrainian servicemen showed that they were subjected to secret experiments, as a result of which they were turned into, quote, the most cruel monsters. The deputy chair of the state Duma, this is Ms. Yareovia, she said they found very high titers for hepatitis A in the blood of captured Ukrainian soldiers, along with anti-hepatitis drugs, leaving them to wonder if someone was doing an experiment on these soldiers, possibly even to make them more aggressive. She also described how Russian forensics believe they have uncovered evidence that banknotes were infected with tuberculosis and then circulated in Luhansk. Luhansk is an area of Ukraine that has only recently come entirely under Russian control. They also found evidence of a research project on gas gangrene in a veterinarian establishment in Mariupol, also recently captured by the Russians. So um, these are all, you know, Russian allegations of secret experiments being done on soldiers and, I guess, animals inside Ukraine. But the article went on to say that in the opinion of the editors at Commerçant, these allegations are overblown. At the end of the article, they interview a Russian geneticist. Kirill Volkov, who does not consider the diseases detected in these prisoners to be atypical for Ukraine. So he's saying it's not unusual for people in Ukraine to have hepatitis A. And he also went on to say, even if they find some more exotic diseases in some of these soldiers, well, uh, these diseases have been making their way into Ukraine the past few years. Now, the American press ran this story mostly to make fun of Russians, their crazy allegations of biomutants. I was surprised when I went and I got this Russian equivalent to the Wall Street Journal, read the original article, that they were expressing as much skepticism about the Duma's allegations as some Americans express about the January 6th commission. So, And uh, maybe we're not appreciating how critical the Russians are able to think. 
The entire thing is weirdly parallel what happened in the run-up and then aftermath of the U.S. invasion of Iraq before, during, and after that invasion. There was a lot of talk, speculation, and presentation of preliminary findings showing that Iraq had chemical, biological, and even nuclear research programs. There were reports of yellow cake uranium reported in the New York Times. Aluminum tubes for nuclear reactors were said to have been found in Iraq, having been sent from Libya. And there were the allegations made by Secretary of State Colin Powell about roaming biolabs in the deserts outside of Baghdad. There were even at this time Americans inside the USA who were in fact poisoned with anthrax, and we never really figured out who was behind that, but the fingers were broadly pointed at Saddam Hussein. Now here we have the Russians. It's like they're doing the same thing that we did when we invaded Iraq. Um, because the Bush administration will, would later really downplay all of the chemical, biological, nuclear allegations uh, because none of those played out. You know, we don't, we don't talk about it very much now, but that was central to the public rationale for the war. I swear, some, I get the feeling like the Russians are running a bizarro world where they just try to do, they do things that are very much parallel to what we do in the United States. Here's a hot tip for the Russians. The U.S. invasion of Iraq was not ultimately successful. So if you're planning on replicating that model, you may wish to revise those plans while you still can. Now, really, this story is really the latest piece of news in an ongoing controversy over whether the U.S. has been running dangerous biological research experiments inside Ukraine. Now, the Russian government has been saying that biological weapons are being developed in Ukraine at secret U.S.-funded biolabs. According to a video I found on the U.S. Embassy in Kiev's website, the Russians have been making these kinds of allegations for years, confusing everyone. On March 8, 2022, U.S. Undersecretary of State Victoria Nuland said at a congressional hearing, quote, there are biological research facilities in Ukraine, and we fear Russia will take control of them, end quote. So there, Victoria Nuland seemed to be confirming a component of the Russian allegation. Yes, there are some kind of biological research facilities in Ukraine, but the American media was quick to point out Nuland was not saying that these facilities are militarily controlled, nor was she saying that the Ukrainians or the Americans are making bioweapons. U.S. Pentagon emphatically denies it is involved in the manufacturing of biological weapons inside Ukraine. The Pentagon did disclose that it is running a biological security program in Ukraine. And I looked into this again on the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Embassy in Kiev's website. They say they have a program. The U.S. is running a program called the Biological Threat Reduction Program, described as a project that aims to consolidate and secure pathogens and toxins of security concern to continue to ensure Ukraine can detect and report outbreaks caused by dangerous pathogens before they pose security or stability threats. And the website says the U.S. helped Ukraine build two biolabs, but those labs are being run by the Ukrainians for the purpose of food safety and consumer protection. So here we have the U.S. embassy saying that they are running a threat reduction program. This doesn't directly address Victoria Nuland's claims that they fear these labs will fall into Russian hands. What are they afraid of exactly? We'd like to know. I actually found it useful to dig deeper. I found this book, American Biodefense, colon, How Dangerous Ideas About Biological Weapons Shape National Security. It's from Cornell 
University Press, 2014, gave me some background that the U.S. has an ongoing effort to clean up the biological weapons programs of the former Soviet Union. For those who don't know, the Soviet Union was an international bureaucracy comprised of 15 countries in Europe and Asia, including both Russia and Ukraine. It lasted from 1922 until 1991. It was similar to the European Union, except it was a communist project. It was dominated, although not totally controlled, by ethnic Russians. So this communist version of the European Union, it was pretty messed up because they were very focused on planning for war. So the Soviets captured some Japanese scientists at the end of World War II who had been working on biological weapons. They built their own biological weapons program around Japanese research. Now, the U.S. was doing the same for a while, but in the 1970s, President Richard Nixon decided this was insane because these weapons don't make us safer. They're hard to control, and they're dangerous just to have around. He had the U.S. enter into negotiations with the USSR, and they negotiated a treaty to put an end to biological weapons. But the book American Biodefense says, quote, A Soviet Union signed the Biological Weapons Convention in 1972 with no intention of complying. Instead, Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev secretly expanded and modernized the offensive biological weapons program. This involved a new and nominally civilian conglomerate called Biopreparat, as well as ministries ranging from defense to health and agriculture, with tens of thousands of people working at dozens of facilities across the country. Annual funding exceeded $200 million, ultimately with the apparent approval of Mikhail Gorbachev. Tons of smallpox and anthrax were stockpiled for use in the event of war. In addition, by multiple accounts, the Soviet Union developed cruise missiles and intercontinental ballistic missiles, biological warheads. End quote. So the Soviets had a massive, decentralized biological weapons program. When they collapsed in 1991, they left pieces of that program spread across 15 countries. For example, the BBC has an article titled The Deadly Germ Warfare Island Abandoned by the Soviets which describes an island in Kazakhstan located in the Aral Sea. This is an island uh, where the Soviets ran a secret bioweapons production facility called Aralesk 7. The island's soil is still contaminated to this day with anthrax, smallpox, and the plague. Kazakh fishermen in the area sometimes go missing, then turn up dead in their boats, apparently killed by the toxic island. Well, you might think, well, at least it's on an island. Fortunately, no. Unfortunately, no. In another disastrously bad move, the Soviets were also diverting water from the Aral Sea to irrigate their cotton crops. Well, that didn't work because cotton production in Kazakhstan is now minimal and the Aral Sea is dried up. Today, it is a tenth of its original size. Didn't they realize that you can't use salt water on cotton? So the Soviet Union... They have this crazed biological program making a wide variety of deadly pathogens, and they're running it in Kazakhstan. They run it on an island. Then when they collapse, they just dump all these pathogens, all these toxins into the soil. And now it's not even an island anymore. So um, this is a nightmare. And apparently the United States has been trying to clean this up ever since the 1990s. But they produced thousands of tons of this stuff. 
not just in Ukraine, right? Like over all 15 countries that were in the Soviet Union. Well, maybe they didn't put any bio labs in Latvia, but like they, we know they did in Georgia, they did in Ukraine, they did in Kazakhstan. And so we've never been able to get it all. But this gives you some context for the allegations of the U.S. running biological labs inside Ukraine, apparently. Again, this is from the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, where we are. The United States is running a wide variety of research facilities in the former Soviet Union. And ostensibly, or this is what they say, we're running these laboratories to help organize, clean up, consolidate, and dispose of Soviet weapons, as well as provide the researchers who formerly worked on these programs with gainful employment so they don't run off and you know move to Iran and North Korea and help North Korea build weaponized anthrax. So there's a cynical way of interpreting Russian allegations of U.S. experiments inside Ukraine, and that would be that the Russians are just, they just want to stir up trouble because they don't like that the United States is cleaning up a mess that the Soviet Union left behind. Many Russians identify with the Soviet Union. You know, I think it's an awkward situation for everybody. Now, here's the charitable way, though, to interpret what's happening. I think a charitable way of interpreting it is that the Russians are saying, wait a minute, this Soviet Union, they constructed this massive decentralized biological weapons program, this nefarious international project, and then the Americans mysteriously took it over. Because we did, right? It's, they're saying that like we kept some of these facilities going so that we could keep these scientists gainfully employed. We're saying we changed what these facilities do. But in a place where people are used to being lied to, um, there might be a lot of paranoia and cynicism about that. Going further, it might be reasonable to be paranoid and cynical because we were coming off of a global pandemic that many people believe actually originated from one of these bio labs. Increasing evidence coming out suggesting that the, the COVID virus, which supposedly originated in Wuhan, China, was genetically modified by researchers there and then escaped. And look, the U.S. media is doing a terrible job of covering this story. I still don't have a clear picture of the extent of U.S. involvement in these bio labs in Ukraine. I don't know how many are there. Where exactly are they? You know, what kind of uh, pathogens are they examining? Do they do this so-called gain-of-function research where you quasi-weaponize a pathogen in order to see, well, how bad could it get? And if it gets that bad, how will we treat it? This is completely independent of Russia throwing around allegations in order to rationalize an invasion. You know, like I said, we just had a global pandemic that was devastating to the world. And so we need to be paying more attention to this stuff. So U.S. media is not doing their job here trying to cover the full story simply doing fact check after fact check to tell us, no, there are no weapons labs in Ukraine. This raises the question, what is wrong with the American media? Why is it so broken? And on that note, let's hear from America's favorite gnome. That would be Noam Chomsky. He's, the, he's not really a gnome, as far as I can tell. It's just he spells his name N-O-A-M. Now, possibly he changed his name to make it sound more American. Many minorities in our country do do that. I wouldn't blame the gnomes for doing that as well. But to the best of my knowledge, Noam Chomsky is just a professor at MIT and the linguist who developed the theory that grammar is innate, as well as a public intellectual and a sort of, you might say, uh, public dissenter. It sort of seems to me like no matter what the United States does, Noam Chomsky is there to say that they shouldn't be doing it. 
sort of his role. So Chomsky recently gave an interview where he said that the United States today is, quote, living under a kind of totalitarian culture, which has never existed in my lifetime and is much worse in many ways than the Soviet Union before Mikhail Gorbachev. And he continues, going back to the 1970s, people in Soviet Russia could access BBC, Voice of America, German television if they wanted to find out the news, he said. If today in the United States you want to find out what Minister Sergei Lavrov of Russia is saying, you can't do it. It's barred. Americans are not permitted to hear what Russians are saying. Can't get Russian television. Can't access Russian sources. You want to find out what the adversaries are saying, which is of utmost importance. But the United States has imposed constraints on freedom of access information, which are astonishing, and which in fact go beyond what was the case in post-Stalin and Soviet Russia. End quote. So where we have uh, a prominent gnome and dissenter saying the U.S. is actually worse than the Soviet Union. This is an astonishing claim. And I said, I'm going to do some research on my own. So uh, Chomsky is saying that you, you can't even find out what the Russians are saying. Well, I was able to access uh, Russia Today on the internet, RT. I actually have the RT app on my phone. Now, it looks like you can't get RT app anymore through Apple apps, but I downloaded it a long time ago and I can still access it. Plus, I can get on the RT website. Uh, I was also able to find another Russian news agency associated with the government called TASS. And I've already reported on Commerçant today, which is a, the Russian Wall Street Journal. I was able to get to all of this through the internet. So I think Chomsky is overstating his case. Um, I agree that the U.S. media ecosystem is broken, as I've been arguing in this episode, that they're not covering the stories with the fullness that they need to be. But I would say it is clearly not as bad as post-Stalin Russia. Now, my understanding of uh, the Soviet Union under, even after Stalin, um, they had to have a tradition called Samizdat, which was forbidden literature. If you wanted to criticize the regime, you had to write it up on your own and in secret. You had to get people to copy it on their own time. Either they would copy it by hand or use a typewriter, or they would have to borrow a copier from like the local company copier when nobody was looking. And so people would circulate this Samizdat in secret. Now, if you got caught with Samizdat, you could go to jail. If you got caught writing it, you would go to jail. You'd end up in a penal colony in Siberia. This persisted until Glasnost under Gorbachev in the 80s. In the United States, you generally do not get arrested for distributing uh, dissenting literature. Uh, there are some exceptions to that. I did just see a news article about some people on the, I think it was the East Coast. They were distributing white nationalist literature in a small town and they were arrested. And so, um, you know, but generally there's a wide range of critiques of the regime you're permitted to make. And also there's people who got arrested. I figured, I, I figured they'll get off because... It's inconsistent with the First Amendment to arrest people, even if they're distributing hateful literature. For the most part, I'm seeing that Americans do not get thrown in prison for our samizdat, our forbidden literature, the kinds of things you're really not supposed to say that offend people so much they will try to hurt you yeah, if you say them. Those things still don't get you thrown in prison, for the most part. And so... um I really disagree with Chomsky, but I do agree with him that something is wrong with the American media right now. All right, we can return to our original question. 
Is there a secret esoteric war in Ukraine? Clearly the answer is yes. We've all heard the term fog of war, but in this case it's even worse. Not only do we have to contend with the fact that the uh, Ukrainian Ministry of Defense is our primary source of information on the ground, but the U.S. media is unwilling or unable to make any attempt to complement that picture. Okay, that's a little extreme. We occasionally see articles from the Washington Post and the New York Times where they do reporting on the ground, but for the most part, we're seeing the American media simply passively take their cues from the Pentagon, the U.K. Ministry of Defense, and the Ukrainians. I think that the U.S. media simply ignores a lot of what they don't want to take the time to report on. I believe it's intentional because I remember in the early 2000s, research papers began to circulate arguing that they had discovered that if you bothered to counter a false narrative, you still contributed to its spread. At the same time, there was research saying that they had discovered that when you argued with people, they tended to only entrench their views further. But I'd like to say that I think that they're overlooking some important things. Presenting both sides of a story is how you build credibility. Even though for any particular narrative or story, telling both sides of the story risks giving airtime and thus credence to the side that you don't want people to believe, telling both sides is a necessary process for getting people to trust you. Right now in the United States, trust in media is at an all-time low. So I think that all of us, whether we're in the United States or Germany or Russia, it's helpful for all of us to remember that we just don't know what's going on in Ukraine. Keep developing your critical thinking skills, and I think those skills will help you in your own search for the truth, even outside of the political realm, parapolitical, spiritual realm still have to be critical thinkers. Until next time, I have been Dane. Stay strange and stay sane. 